0: All right, hello
1: everyone and welcome to the How to Grow Strategically panel discussion at the Health Tech Rapid Conference March event hosted by the Health Tech Networking Club. I'm Lindsay Williams, founder of Coralis Consulting and co-founder of myUTI, and I will be your moderator for this panel discussion. The monthly Health Tech Rapid Conference events are organized by the Health Tech Networking Club, an exclusive networking club that brings together influential members of the health tech community. Our rapid conference events videos, those 10,000 video views on both YouTube and Facebook. So if you'd like more information on the monthly health tech rapid conference event series or the health tech networking club, please head to the Bene Studio website. To all of our members, if you haven't already, we urge you to leave a comment in the general Slack space about our topic of the month for a chance to contribute to the health tech guide. More details are available in Slack. And the link to the Slack channel can be found in the Zoom chat box. So please leave any feedback or comments on the panel discussion in the general chat on Slack. Before we begin our panel introductions, I'd like to remind our panelists to please mute all devices, including Slack notifications, for the duration of the session. So I'm going to start by asking our panelists to briefly introduce themselves, just giving a quick two-minute background. And I will start with a ballot, please.
0: Yeah, hello, everybody. My name is Palin Bena. I'm the CEO of Bena Studio. And uh, at Bena Studio, which is a digital product consultancy, uh, I have seen uh, more than 100 different projects and digital products. Uh, and, uh, and I have seen uh, growing strategically, and, and I have seen examples uh, for, for failures as well. So I would like to share these best and worst practices today.
1: Thank
2: you. And next we will go to Joshua. Hi everyone, Josh Goldberg here. As I mentioned, I'm a patent attorney. So I help my clients protect their new innovations, their new developments, uh, whatever it is that makes them them and makes them unique so that when they're ready to enter the market, they don't have competition. They can maximize their profits, their market and they can help the most people. Uh, I also help a lot of startups secure funding. Uh, either by helping find them partners or by maximizing what they can ask by making sure that any questions about, well, how do we know our investment is safe, um, showing the IP portfolio they've helped build so that, yes, the investor does have that confident feeling that this is a good bet and a good risk. Uh, I work with a lot of different health tech companies from startups to medium-sized and large companies. Um, I manage my firm's biopharma chemical practice, also work with medical device companies, and um, everyone I work with is either here in the US or around the world, of course. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to visit anyone where they are for about a year, so hopefully that will change sometime soon. Glad to see everybody.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Rebecca, will you please go next?
3: Yes, hello, lovely to be here (laughs) virtually. I am Rebecca Gwilt. I'm the partner and co founder of Nixon Gwilt Law. I told you uh, uh, sort of the high level before, but uh, we work with early stage, growth stage, uh, and established healthcare innovation companies uh, exclusively. And for those companies, we provide um, certainly healthcare regulatory compliance work. We create transactional and commercial documents. We do MA and financing document work. Um, and we also, Uh, provide, um, you know, insights into emerging policy, emerging law, um, connections with stakeholders in the system. Uh, Much like Joshua, because we work with these types of companies, we have relationships with accelerators, incubators, uh, VC firms, uh, angel groups, et cetera, that are uh, investing in the health tech space and healthcare innovation space in particular. Uh, And I am here to just share what I have seen, what I have learned and to answer any of your questions. It's good to be here.
1: Thank you so much for joining, and last but certainly not least, Baraka, will you please introduce yourself?
4: Sure. I'm Baraka Stortvet. Yes, they're both really difficult names to pronounce. I apologize in advance for that. My middle name is Brandon. Completely normal, but <laughs> I uh, co-founded and lead the digital health and emerging med tech practice at Marsha McLennan Agency. About five years ago, I sat at the intersection of healthcare, life sciences, and technology and saw how people were not being served well in terms of managing risk and having insurance programs that both were inexpensive to start, but also protected them effectively and were scalable over time for, uh, for a company. And so it's been fun to grow that practice over the last five years, help a lot of companies and see some great ideas grow and thrive. and Um, What gets me up every day is helping helping bring the future of healthcare and make it a reality with all of you, with your incredible ideas.
1: Thank you so much. So really today is I think a really amazing conversation and I've spoken with each of the panelists before before today and and we've had some really interesting and intriguing conversations around so much of growing strategically is decisions that you make in the beginning as a founder right and a lot of these things often are invisible as balance so eloquently put it to me the other day right they're invisible because we're so focused as founders on our bigger vision on our features on our uh you know Patient experience or user experience and a lot of times we forget to think about you know how the decisions that we make now play into the future and so Balan, I want to start with you on the strategy front. You know what is probably one of the most important things that that a founder or founding team can do to set themselves up for success.
0: Thanks for the question. It's a, it's a really exciting question and, uh, and um, um, we can bring practices uh, because, uh, because we don't know the exact solution, but, uh, but, but I have seen uh, growing uh, products and growing companies and their practices and, uh, and I have seen uh, failures as well. Uh, so, so, so let me share a few, a few examples. Uh, usually when uh, when there is a, a solid product roadmap uh, which is which is uh, on one hand a vision uh, of the future uh, the near future mid term and long term future uh, but on the other hand uh, is a flexible flexible uh, framework of thinking so 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 being in the middle uh, uh, is really useful if we talk about the product roadmap being flexible uh, with the elements, uh, but uh, but but having some structure. So so it should be the it should be the base uh, um, at least uh, what I saw uh, with with uh, successful products and uh, and companies and uh, and uh, um, under this this uh, this roadmap, which is a high level. Uh, frame, uh, we should see the, the different stages, different phases. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, the big question is always how to deliver, uh, as much value as possible to the, to the users, to the customers, uh, and, uh, and how to build on that result later. So this is where strategy come into the picture, uh, when, uh, when we have to build a new new steps new layers on top of an early success and uh, and to have the next steps we need the first successful step uh, we can't jump it so 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 having a successful uh, minimum viable product uh, is is definitely the first step uh, either for a startup or even for a for an enterprise new product uh, and for that we have to think uh, completely differently uh, because it should be as small as possible and just uh, just uh, represent the, the core value. Uh, after this this stage, we should see when it's time to change to a more scalable, more more uh, robust system and uh, and how to build up that. that uh, and for that, uh, what I saw as a good practice is is also going step by step. Uh, and uh, and and bringing the, the most cru- crucial uh, client value uh, into the front, and uh, and trying to leave out all the all the uh, visions, all the uh, nice to have, or 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 uh, uh, really imaginary uh, solutions, uh, leaving them for a later stage.
1: And this is a really great point because I think the most difficult part of being on the entrepreneurship journey is it's a little bit like that game. um, I think it's called twister maybe where you have to have like your hand on a red spot and your foot on a yellow spot. So it's like, think big, but think strategically by also thinking small and, and have a big plan and a roadmap, but also be flexible and maintain flexibility. So how do you recommend that entrepreneurs balance that in terms of setting out a roadmap, but not being so married to it that they lose their ability to flex?
0: Yeah it's a it's a key question uh, and uh, and uh, what i can see is uh, is it's hard to reach this uh, this uh, mid midpoint uh, uh, let me um, bring uh, uh, an example uh, from an early startup upper uh, from uh, uh, a classical philosopher uh, walter uh, he said that uh, perfect is the enemy of good uh, so, so we definitely should listen to this early startuper, uh, this early uh, digital product manager, because because we have to do exactly uh, the same. Uh, uh, we have to have this mindset, uh, not to not to try uh, planning or building the perfect end solution uh, at the beginning, uh, but uh, but let's try try to. Uh, try to to go step by step because what can be a worst practice is uh, having a great idea keeping it uh, as a secret and working on that for like for years Uh, and uh, and having uh, uh, several hundred uh, pages documentation every detail is worked out uh, but but uh, but haven't met with uh, with potential users haven't met with uh, with uh, technical experts uh, uh, who can reflect on that that plan early on. And uh, and in these cases, uh, it's really risky uh, either to build that solution uh, because it costs a lot of time and money uh, and, uh, and it's risky on the business side as well because, because uh, m- breaking down an already built up uh, massive, uh, really complex, uh, concept to its core is sometimes more more difficult than 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 just to 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 start from scratch so so this is what what i saw as a as a worst uh, a practice uh, in terms of the results because because in most cases this uh, this strategy just uh, didn't work so and uh, and and we should uh, uh, take care of this this uh, uh, side of the of the scale, uh, and uh, and I have to say that that we should be careful with the with the other side of the scale as well. So 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 being too agile, too flexible, changing all the details every day in in, in every hour, uh, uh, losing all uh, the the structures, uh, and uh, and saying we are really flexible really agile and this is this is the way how we we can disrupt uh, the 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 old world uh, uh, if it's if it's too flexible too often then 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 it also uh, can uh, cause problems uh, but on on the other way uh, uh, problems uh, because because uh, there is no no time frame no, no strict uh, uh, framework to actually do something to reach reach any uh, milestones, reach any results. Um, so, so, so uh, it's also a practice uh, which uh, which uh, doesn't uh, lead to success too often. So, what I what I saw as a good good balance is uh, is having a strict uh, plan for the next short phase, as short as possible, even it can be like one month ahead, uh, having a really strict plan for that. And for the next phase, having a a quite detailed uh, vision Uh, and for the phases after that, having uh, less and less detailed, more high level, uh, more flexible uh, visions. Because this way, when we are going uh, on our uh, roadmap uh, towards our goals. Uh, we always can refine the upcoming one, two, three milestones, uh, but we also can keep the flexibility uh, for the next phases. And uh, the flexibility not just uh, not just in terms of budget and uh, and uh, and the and the, the the project details, but in terms of mindset. So if we have a really detailed plan for Six years—it's uh, hard to think flexibly. Uh, it's it's hard to think outi- outside of uh, the box. Uh, but if we we strategically keep our uh, uh, mid-term, long-term plans high-level, then then uh, then we can connect the 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 execution of today with the vision of uh, the future. Uh, and uh, and we can be flexible at uh, every steps.
1: And that actually reminds me something that uh, that Rebecca you spoke to the other day when we spoke, which is, you know, you have to be really clear on kind of your core business and who you are. So being clear on that core vision to balance point. Um, But the reason that you actually told me that is because it, it helps inform from a legal perspective how to protect and guide an early stage company and that really wasn't something that I had thought about bringing in legal as an early advisor versus just hey I need these documents these contracts these forms, can you speak a little bit more about that.
3: Sure, sure. Yeah. So I think what I said to you yesterday was legal follows business. Um, We end up getting calls from folks for whom it's clear we are on their checklist of things to check off before they move forward. And they say, "We know, we need a privacy policy. We know we need a licensing agreement. Um, Please draft those up for us so we can get to launch next month. And um, you should be very, very careful of accepting any legal document from any lawyer who hasn't sat down with you and really understood the nature of your business, what your goals are, what your timeline is, um, the products you're selling or the services you're selling, and who really understands the regulatory structure within which you are operating. So, you know, most of you on the on the call know that healthcare is more regulated than anything else, almost um, beside maybe. Maybe nuclear power, maybe banking, Um, but but it is quite important um, for for the person advising you to understand your product, your services and the framework within its within which it's operating. Um, And 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 so, you know, before you ask for particular documents, keep in mind, you may not, you may think, you know, but you may not know exactly what you need. Um, So allow the folks in your um, sort of circle of influence, which includes your Tax advisors, your certainly your IP advisors, Josh, your. your uh, uh, your legal uh, make sure that they all really understand your business and your goals uh, because many of us, especially if we work particularly you know it, it focused on the health tech sector, have seen a number of different business models, lots of different ways to do things, and we may actually have some advice for you on um, how to tackle a problem that you're trying to tackle, um, not just from a legal perspective but from a business strategy perspective um, that can save you lots and lots of time undoing things later.
1: I think that's so smart and actually Josh I want to hear your perspective on this too because one of the things that Balan also brought up is you know so many people often feel like they have to be in stealth mode to protect themselves right for so long and and to perfect something before they come out. Um, you know from an IP perspective you know what are some of your kind of key takeaways or advice around how to look at IP from an early stage, especially if you're wanting to protect yourself, but also if you're not sure if you have IP or what could actually be IP you may not be considering?
2: Sure, Lindsay, happy to, to weigh in on this. And first, I'd really like to echo a lot of the things that Rebecca and Balance said. So, you know, with Rebecca, there is nothing more important than working with someone you're comfortable with. And You know, I I know from our perspective, we want to be considered a close, trusted advisor of our clients and part of their business. We want to know what their business is, um, how they do things, what their plan is, how they expect to make money, bring products to market, all of that. Because if we don't know that, just like Rebecca said, there's no way we're going to be able to provide the proper advice and actually give you the most value that we possibly can. Uh, I have people who say, here, come and draft this patent application for me and go away. And sometimes we do it, uh, but it's really not doing our clients a service. And, and to Rebecca's point about really having to understand why, the why, why are we being asked to do this? I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I had a client working on a license and they said, okay, we want you to review this licensing agreement for us. Just look at these two sections. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, how can I possibly give you good advice on a licensing agreement if all I'm doing is looking at these two sections? That makes no sense. Cause I then look at the first section and it says, well, for this, it, it refers to certain definitions. So then I have to go look at other sections to find what those definitions mean. And then it refers to other parts of the document. So I wound up giving advice on things that weren't even IP related and they're looking at me. Whoa! how did you know how to do that? Well, it's because I read the document and I took at it from a holistic view right? So you really have to work with people who take that viewpoint. Otherwise, you're doing yourself and them a disservice. And that gets into what Balan said, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And that comes into a lot of what I do, right? I use that phrase all the time. People talk about IP and they think, well, I have a new technology a new innovation. I'm doing something It's not patentable, right? To be patentable, I need to have something earth-shattering or groundbreaking, like the first iPhone or the first personal computer or some new cancer drug and that's absolutely 100% not true the example i use all the time is you know a simple pen right here's a simple rollerball pen as compared to a ballpoint pen each of these probably have 100 different inventions involved if you really get down to the micro level. From the overall appearance design of the pen, how the cat fits on it. um, You have the ink involved, the viscosity of the ink, how the ink escapes from that little structure up front, which is going to be different for this pen than that pen. So really, anything you're doing that's never been done before, even if it's an incremental improvement, might be really the huge benefit that everybody looks and says, wow, that's where the value comes from. You know, here in, in the U.S., most people know of Thomas Edison is one of the most prolific inventors ever and one of the most valuable inventors ever. And everybody thinks, for example, the light bulb is Thomas Edison's greatest invention. Thomas Edison didn't actually invent the light bulb. Somebody else did. What he did, what Thomas Edison did, is he went through all the different patent offices around the world, which was a big deal back then, to find out all the different materials that could be used as a filament to light up. And then he went through testing and he tested hundreds of different materials before he selected the right one that had the longest life, the brightest burn, all of those things to make the best light bulb. And that was really his innovation. And that's why everybody thinks Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. What you all are doing is no different, right? Maybe you have something groundbreaking, maybe you don't. But if you're doing something new and different, that's what you have to protect. And the sooner you get me involved, someone like Rebecca involved, the better you're going to be able to protect yourself. Uh, this is where being perfect being the enemy of good comes in. Number one, you can wait and wait and wait until you fully refine your product, your project, your strategy. The longer you wait, the more risk you take of somebody else coming ahead of you. On the other side, if you say, you know what? I don't want to wait to be perfect. I just want to get out on the market. Well, now you're starting your clock because you have a limited period of time from when you get out there and when you make your innovation publicly available before you can actually uh, get a patent application file to protect it. When I say a limited clock from your first sale, your first offer to sale, your first publication, you have one year. Otherwise, your patent rights are gone. Think about that. You might be donating your company's foundation to the public. The earlier you talk with somebody to know what those issues are, because most founders don't know what they don't know, the better off you're going to be.
1: I think that's so important. And so often, so many of these things are invisible to founders, right? And and I think that's a really important area. And, you know, we talk about strategy and strategy is, yes, so much growth and and product design and a lot of those things, but it is also protection, right, in these areas. And actually, Barack, I wanted to have you talk on one other area of protection that, that honestly, I don't hear referenced very often in early stage companies, and that is insurance.
4: Yes. Uh, It's really a a dirty word when it comes to early stage companies a lot of the time because it's something that can, um, you know, I think the, the elephant in the room is money, right? When you're an early stage company, you have limited resources. You're thinking about how do I effectively use those resources to develop a product and get it to market and build my business. And the last thing you want to think about is the things that could go wrong, right? But I think in terms of scalability and setting up your company in a way that is not going to have things that go wrong that destroy your foundation it's important to at least think about and it's not as expensive as you might think and we kind of help just like you build the product roadmap we help our clients think through a risk roadmap you know what are the risks that you have at different stages and what maybe do you need from an insurance perspective and maybe what you need when you first start is a 500 hundred dollar a year insurance policy that's not a big deal right or maybe it's thirty five hundred or five thousand. These are not big numbers, right? But they can protect you from the things that go wrong, especially in healthcare. Anytime you're in health tech, there's potential of harm to someone at the end of what you're doing. The tech motto of work fast and break things does not work very well in healthcare, right? Because the breaking things at the end, it's not just somebody not getting the value out of some technology that you're doing. It's a person's life at the other end, and so. Um, thinking about not only insurance and taking a few minutes, it really doesn't take long to to think about it. And we, we have a roadmap we've created for people, but then thinking about legal too, because a lot of the things that go wrong are regulatory and otherwise, right? So I've seen things like Department of Justice investigations into telemedicine companies because they didn't set up their structure correctly to be able to see patients in person when they needed to then see them online or to have providers appropriately licensed or there's a lot of regulatory things that go into providing health tech in today's world that are important considerations you need someone like Rebecca and her team or, or Josh in terms of protecting things you're doing and it, it's not as expensive as you think from my perspective and then Rebecca just to plug her firm to their rates tend to be like half of a normal firm's, big firm's rates from an hourly perspective. And so you get a lot more value. And then you have someone who really understands your business. And I think those things together are important.
3: I was just going to rep um, Baraka because what you don't uh, realize, and he used to be an underwriter, which I think is a really important piece here. What you don't realize in the health sector is that there are companies that will sell you a bunch of insurance, not understanding your business and the risks of, a, for instance, a telemedicine business where you're actually providing patient care versus a device or software business where you're sort of supporting those folks, but you don't take on the liability yourself. Those should be under written differently and I don't always see that with my clients and someone like Baraka that understands the nature of your business is able to guide his underwriters to get you a rate that's not outrageous Um, so I've had a ton of clients that I've that have gotten quotes and I've sent to Baraka and they've been very happy
1: and again just to underscore the importance of like working with people you know and trust and also having that relationship with that kind of early advisor team that should include not just your technical advisors not just your kind of early adopter advisors or physician advisors clinical advisors but also legal uh, from the from the perspectives right of risk mitigation ip uh, and and insurance right i mean that's a that's a big play and actually um, you know, kind of moving into this more technical aspect of strategy. Broca, I don't know if you'll just chime in really quickly since uh, we're on the topic, but uh, I was shocked to learn what the number one claim for small businesses is right now. Will you share with us?
4: Yeah, um, we're seeing tons of cyber claims right now, Um, and people tend to think that uh, people tend to think that hey cyber criminals are only going to go after big companies they're going to only going to go after people that have 100 million patient records that they can steal but what they do is they tend to go after businesses that don't have as much IT infrastructure and don't have the protections in place and guess what they health tech is a great place to do that because there is a Oh
1: no I think he just, yeah.
2: Okay, it wasn't just me. <laughs>
1: um, so I think one one thing that he was going to talk about that we we spoke about the other day was um, the, the fact that they actually target these smaller companies and, and are able to basically get access to your information and how devastating that can be. Oh, are you back, Baraka? Okay, you finish.
4: Yeah, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, but as a health tech company, can you hear me now? Yeah, okay. As a health tech company, I think... The the thing that they'll go after is you have the patient data, right? They know you have patient data that's very valuable on the black market, and you don't have the infrastructure that a lot of larger companies have to protect it. And that's what makes you a bigger target. We've seen tons of ransomware, as well as other attacks on these smaller businesses um, as well.
1: Yeah, and that kind of plays into this whole concept of, you know, building with scale in mind, but also from a very early stage, how important some of these technical build decisions can be, right? And and obviously, everybody knows if you're dealing with patient data, you got to be HIPAA compliant, Um, but there's a lot of other aspects from a technical perspective in, in setting your company and your data structure up. Uh, that that can play into that and then of course the importance of having the insurance coverage right so that if something does go wrong, it does not devastate your company
4: yeah. and the average ransom today is three hundred thousand dollars
1: which is a lot of money for a startup right and your investors yeah. don't want to see that money go to ransom. <laughs> versus investment in their in their company right absolutely so um, and a policy
4: and a policy can be as little as a hundred dollars a month to protect you so
1: right which is so worth it in the grand scheme of things absolutely if you're getting
3: a bunch of those claims it's not going to stay a hundred bucks a month that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) so buy now
1: (laughs) absolutely so i mean i think that's also brings us back to to balan in terms of you know, how do you build with growth in mind, right? So often I think we're we're trying to get an MVP out the door and we just wanna do it with, you know as little investment as possible so we can show traction, get better valuations to go raise better rounds, you know but at the same time, I think, you know There can be some things that are worth spending money on, right, the the $100 a month for the insurance, yes, check that box. Uh, But then also from a tech perspective, Balint, you know, what would you recommend, you know, for these early stage founders and companies to consider uh, in, in building out their kind of MVP tech platform?
0: yeah it's a, a really exciting uh, question and uh, and we have to 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 summarize uh, uh, all that risk aspects uh, which uh, which uh, Rebecca Joshua Baraka mentioned uh, today because if we talk about the technology of uh, of a new product or, or a startup then uh, then it's all about uh, risk mitigation and and uh, and risk uh, Risk evaluation and uh, and the pr- uh, priority of, of different different approaches. Uh, why is this so important? Uh, because because most of the of the founders or product uh, product owners focus on the business, uh, which is obviously a really good thing. Uh, but but on the surface, from a business or a user perspective, uh, we can see. Features we can see functions what what I can do with that particular application, and uh, and it's really easy just to think about the the features and the new and new features on the wish list uh, uh, and to forget uh, the the system under the hood, Uh, and uh, if we if we go with this this uh, high uh, speed, uh, we can. Break things, as baraka uh, quoted, but not just not just on the on the legal side, but uh, but on the on the uh, technical side as well. So so for a for a fir- first step uh, to to having a prototype, uh, it's really uh, it's really good uh, to do as uh, simple as possible. Uh, but uh, but after that, when 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 the idea is proved uh, by some key users, some key stakeholder feedbacks, uh, then 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 we have uh, we have to plan with the with the technology aspects as well uh, more. For this this really first uh, prototype, even we don't have uh, software, we can do do uh, uh, user experience. Uh, use uh, wireframe prototype for that so, so so there are really simple tools uh, just to validate the, the uh, business concept but after that when when, when we are uh, having a service having uh, users we definitely need the first uh, working application and uh, um, it's uh, it's called usually uh, MVP minimum viable product because the goal is having uh, something which is already working, but nothing else, nothing more. And uh, and in this case, uh, having less can be more uh, in terms of the features, um, because because if uh, we're not just 100% focusing on the the, uh, features, on the surface, uh, we will have uh, focus and, and budget and time uh, for the for the uh, serving technology as well to have that application stable to 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 make that uh, application compatible with different browsers, different uh, platforms, uh, which is also crucial, and uh, and of course the the security and the and the and the operations aspects, uh, which is the difference between a useful application and between an unuseful application if we talk about the same uh, feature set so just having the core uh, solution as a feature and uh, and uh, providing it as simple as possible it's not just good for the for the technology and for the reliability of, of that uh, first first uh, uh, system but also good from a user perspective from a user experience perspective because uh, for the new user it It's a hard challenge just to get to know our new application uh, and and we shouldn't make it uh, even harder with a lot of complex features and structures and and everything on the the first uh, step. But just providing the key value, the key function uh, could help the business uh, as well even more than than, than overwhelming uh, the user.
1: I think one of the things that, that entrepreneurs struggle with is this um, idea of how to balance where the spend goes, right? And and specifically, it can be a challenge to, to not want to spend it all, right? On on kind of the, the design aspects, the experience, the product piece of it. Um, but you know, Rebecca, you made a comment to me yesterday about like, don't let money get in the way of good advice and better decisions. And I think, Um, you know, speaking to what Balance said of, you know, hey, get your minimum viable product out the door, get it tested, um, get the feedback that you need to have those kind of inflection points, right? You have your kind of key milestones or flex um, points along the way that that you allow yourself the flexibility to make changes if needed. Um, But, you know, from a legal perspective, it can be really hard to spend money on picking up the phone and calling a lawyer and saying, let me spend an hour walking you through my product because I know I'm going to get charged for that, right? Um, can you speak a little bit about how your group has maybe shifted to meet the needs of health tech in particular?
3: Sure, sure. So um, I think that in general, uh, you get the most value from someone who understands not only the substance of the industry you're operating within, but also can think the way that you think as an entrepreneur, right? Um, and, and Josh talked about this trust principle and it, it really is quite important. Um, and some of that comes from trusting that they know what they're talking about. And the second comes from trusting that they know where you're coming from, right? They understand the constraints of the entrepreneur. They understand that every dollar you spend on legal and not on your sales team is gonna impact you, right? So so really important to have somebody who's, who, who understands in that way. And if you do, what you then have is a very different kind of conversation. You have a conversation where first, of course, you make sure that they understand your business. But the second is about your risk tolerance and about what your budget is. And once you have that discussion, then your partner, right, your strategic partner who happens to be a lawyer can say to you, okay, look, here's what's really important. We've got to get your commercial contracts done so that we can start So, that you can start generating revenue, right? You're gonna have to agree to X, Y, and Z in this contract, and you may not have that in place. It's gonna cost this to have this in place, or you could just sort of keep going, make the money, and make sure this is on your roadmap to get done. A good example is very early stage companies that are dealing with um, protected health information, right? It is usually the case that they don't always have their first contract. at a point at which they are fully compliant, right? They've built, you know, hopefully built their product to be very secure, but maybe they haven't done their security risk assessment. Maybe they don't have everything in place. Maybe the hospital wants you to have a SOC 2 audit and you don't have it in place yet, right? So you've got to figure out, you know, what is most important to you and work with your partner to make sure that they understand that and and they are tackling it accordingly, right? That's about sort of scoping. Um, The second piece there is about pricing. So most startups are working on, um, you know, growth stage startups, which is sort of who I work with, um, are on an 18 month, 12 to 18 month runway. And they know how much money they have to spend over that amount of time. And they've raised money um expecting expecting to be able to have that amount of time one thing is make sure that you are budgeting in legal if you're in the healthcare sector it's going to hurt you have to do it you're not selling widgets and so you know factor in that budget the second thing is you know how can you avoid getting a i I, this is not a joke we had a client that ended up um through you know a relationship with the founder, decided he wanted his buddy at another law firm to be their lawyer. We said, great, fine, good luck. We heard later that they had gotten a three hundred thousand dollar legal bill in one month for work for work that we could have priced flat fee for a, a fraction of that, right? And we're not a discount firm, right? So um, you. You, you need to have some assurance that your budget is going to last, given that you're going to need these you know need this advisory. And so one thing that we do and, and other firms are starting to do now is once we learn what you need and we're able to scope it out, we can give you a monthly budget. We can give you a flat fee for that project. And that's going to allow you to, one, know what it costs, right? Because some people say, oh, my God, that's what it costs. We got to go and do some work for a couple months and we'll, we'll come back to you right? One, it gives you a realistic picture of what's going to cost over the long term. And two, it gives you ability ability to budget it out. So when you're talking to your, you know, your angels, when you're talking to your VCs about what it is you need and what it is you're spending, and you will know how to justify it um, um, so that um, you don't freak anyone out and you're able to, you know, allocate expenses um, in, in, you know, in a planned way.
1: And I think it's important what you just mentioned there about, you know, VCs in particular, because I hear from a lot of startup companies that feel like they have to have the big name law firms, right, and we won't name anyone in particular here today, um, you know, on their pitch decks to give them validity and because they have that connection. Um, but, you know, you and I had a really great conversation around specifically the role of generalists versus specialists in this particular space. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, would you give us just a quick, uh, you know, one minute explanation on kind of how the big firms work?
3: Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm interested in what Josh has to say on this as well. But, uh, you know, my vision of the big firm is that they are basically a conglomeration of smaller practices, right? So you could fit my firm into a big firm and we would function similarly. Um, what you pay for with big firms is certainly the amount of money they have to make to satisfy the partners who live up top, um, who you will as a startup or a growth stage company actually work with are not those people um, you will work with lower level folks who have left less, less experience and may cost a little bit less than talking to a partner but still cost a whole hell of a lot and um, so so uh, that's the thing on big firms right in terms of the and I know I've taken a lot of um, time so I'll try to make this um, short. The thing with the generalists versus specialists is, if you can get somebody who understands again your business and where you're functioning in the marketplace, and um, you know actually work with those people, uh, you are going to spend less of their time, right? Because they don't have to get smart on what you're doing. Um, and with a smaller firm. Uh, you know, firms like mine don't have to carry the overhead of having a whole IP department, we'll just send you to Josh, right? And we don't have to keep the overhead of a labor and employment practice, we'll just send you to an affiliate practice who we, who we trust. Um, and so there's, there's a bit of um, efficiency that you can get from, uh, you know, from operating in that way.
1: And I think it's important to, to touch on this um, because I was actually in a clubhouse chat the other day and there was a major VC talking and, and someone had come to the stage and asked a question about some early legal fees and trying to kind of to what you mentioned, right? Oh, my buddy is a lawyer. It's not his specialty, but lawyers are lawyers, right? And the VC said, do not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't even tell you every single time i see a deal downstream fall apart it's because they didn't get good legal advice up front josh i would love for you to to just chime in on this cuz you are a very much so a specialist in this area
2: absolutely um i agree again so with everything rebecca said i promise we did not discuss this ahead of time but we uh seem to share very common similar ways of looking at things Um, With the big law firms, of course, you can get good work done there, and I'm never going to say otherwise. A lot of the big law firms are really good at what they do, and they have great reputations, and they're well-deserved. You're also going to pay for it. Um, And more often than not, when you go to a big law firm, you're going to pay some multiple of what someone like Rebecca or I might charge you. Not to say that we're cheap. I don't think we're cheap, but we're reasonable. We like to work with our clients and understand their limitations, budgetary or whatever, where they are in the process, and really work with them. The best piece of advice I could give you, whether you're working with me or anybody else in the legal industry, be really clear up front about what it is that you want to have done and what it is you expect to be charged for it. And it's okay if the work that gets done is different than what you think it needs to be going in right? Because that happens all the time. You don't have all the knowledge of the legal world. You're coming to the expert and asking them, what do you think I need? And they'll tell you really for where you are, you came to me saying you wanted a, but I think you need B. That's fine. That's great. Just make sure by the end of the conversation, it's clear, we're going to do B. This is the timeline. And this is what it's going to cost. Now, sometimes you can work with lawyers on an hourly basis, which is fine. Sometimes you could work with them on a flat fee basis, which is fine also. It's really just a matter of setting those expectations. And, you know, usually at a big firm, because that's what we're talking about, you might be attracted to the partner or the name and think that they're really going to be paying attention to you and what it is you're doing. And more likely than not, they're going to bring you in, they're going to hand you off to somebody who is more junior, doesn't have as much experience, and they're done. Right, They have other things that they're working on. Now, that's not to say that if you work with me or probably Rebecca, um, that we're going to do all your work for you yourselves because there are always efficiencies to be gained by having people at different billing rates, different experience levels do different tasks. But I know for myself, I'm always going to be involved and keep an eye on what's going on, making sure you're taken care of and that what we're doing, the service we're providing, actually matches up with what you need and expect. So I I think really when you get down to it, that's the biggest difference is cost and personal attention.
3: Yeah, and I I would just mention too, in defense of the big firm, um, I, I do think that it makes sense once you get to your series B, probably stage, to have your corporate work done, if you can have your corporate, if you can afford it, have your corporate work done by a very large firm with good relationships with investment banks. Because at that stage, your lawyers can actually mm-hmm. help you raise significant amounts of money um, mm-hmm. from people that they work with all the time. So we we often, uh, you know, start off, my firm, start off as general outside counsel. We do sort of everything for the companies. At some stage, it is, it is the case that that they say, all right, we're going to go to Wilson Cincini because they've got a relationship with X, Y, and Z Investment Bank, and they're going to help us put this deal together. And we say, great, go raise that money. And, you know, we play nice in the sandbox. But I I will say that there are strategic reasons after the very early stages to develop relationships with at least the corporate VC offices of the large firms. Really great.
2: I I want to add to that and then address the question Lauren asked here in the panel, uh, the chat, if you don't mind. So I I think, again, Rebecca's right. Um, But just because you're working with a big firm for one of those things where they have that expertise that cannot be replicated does not mean they're your go-to for everything. You know, you use a different tool in the toolbox for different activities. You don't use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail. Right. You don't use a small firm, a smaller firm to go after some of these funding opportunities, just like you don't use the big firm uh, to do something where they're not well designed to do. And and that gets to the question that Lauren here asked in the chat about um, being charged seven hours for putting together an estimate. That honestly is outlandish. And if it were me, there is absolutely no way I would pay that. I would push back as hard as I possibly could on that. I mean, if you have a good relationship with that global law firm, you wanna keep working with them, You know, hopefully they're going to find some way to make it right to you. I'm assuming it's um, not actually doing the work, but I would find somebody else to work with on your IP search, whether it's me or somebody else, honestly, it doesn't matter. I've never be, seen
3: anything like that.
2: No, I, I would be I mean, I've seen similar things. For that. Yeah, I've seen similar things too, <laughs> but personally, I would be embarrassed to send that kind of bill. Um, and the other thing is, if it's not someone you have a formal relationship yet with yet, uh, whether it's the global law firm or you know their partner, if there's no formal relationship, you don't have an engagement agreement with them, anything like that. There's no obligation to pay on an estimate. That's that's the, they should insane.
3: be they should be. Yeah, if that's the case they should be saying I'm going to earn their business by putting together an estimate. They that's like um it's like charging you for your for their for their advertising. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it takes all kinds, I guess. Uh, well, thank you guys for this. And we're gonna actually, I'm gonna ask each of the panelists just in one minute or less to very quickly kind of summarize your your final thought or key takeaway for all of our early entrepreneurs and innovators that are on the call with us today. Uh, you know, from a str- strategy perspective, what is, what is your number one uh, piece of advice? Valent, let's start with you.
0: Yeah, from a strategy perspective, if uh, we would like to grow strategically with the digital product, then then we should keep an eye on the uh, on the budget dedicated for the for the technical depths or the or the technical aspects uh, and and we can balance. Uh, uh, between the, the, the continuous improvement or 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 having a. Uh, different phases and different new systems from scratch for that phase, because it's, it's also fine. Uh, it can be reasonable having a, a minimum viable product and then building a, a scalable, reliable system after that from scratch. And uh, after a few years, uh, building a new system with the modern technology uh, uh, also from scratch, so it can be a scenario. Uh, or we can improve the system as a live organization uh, with like uh, technologies like microservice architecture uh, uh, continuously. Um, but uh, what's the most important is uh, either way, we should take care of these technical aspects and technical depths, and, uh, and we should solve them uh, to prevent uh, um, big problems later uh, which which could harm the business
1: okay barack if you can give us one line what is your key key takeaway
4: yep working with a specialist is always better and less expensive than working with a generalist
1: perfect perfect all right rebecca what's your takeaway
3: uh build a circle of uh influence that you trust that know your business and share your goals
1: Perfect. Josh, we'll we'll wrap it up with you and then I will uh, transition us into our next Slack networking session.
2: So I would say find people you know, like, and trust to surround yourself with who have the knowledge to fill in the gaps that you don't know about or don't know exist and listen to their advice uh, as you go forward.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This was an awesome panel. Uh, To everyone on the call, please join us next month on April 29th for our next Rapid Conference event with a focus on telemedicine. So until we meet again, if you'd like more information on the monthly Health Tech Rapid Conference event series or the Health Tech Networking Club, please head to the Bene Studio website and follow Bene Studio on social media.